All right, the reading this morning is from Luke uh, chapter 16, starting with verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Okay, this is the word of God. All right, let's get into it. Again, it's an honor and a privilege. Thanks, Brian. Thanks to the leadership um, for uh, having me uh, this time of the year. Uh, I know it's been, 2020 has been a year, right? It's been quite a year. And different people have reacted or uh, have engaged with it differently. And, and that's just the reality of the situation. Uh, and so hopefully this message to you this morning helps capture why we do what we do at Baptist World Aid, but I'm hoping as well that it is uh, an encouragement to you um, personally. As, it, as when I read this passage, it was encouraging, but also challenging uh, to me as well. Um, you see, justice or God's love or God's mission has always um, been a passion for, for me ever since I was a pastor, I was a young pastor. But I have to say that before I became a pastor, that I was slow in understanding what God's justice or love or mission is. Now, I say uh, slow or uh, slow in understanding it or learning it because I grew up as a follower of Jesus. My mom faithfully raised six kids um, in the faith, even though my dad wasn't a follower of Jesus. Uh, and secondly, I grew up in the space of poverty. The first 10 years of my life was in Cebu City, if you know Cebu City in the Philippines, and it, particularly it was in a red light district. Right? So I was a follower of Jesus, but also I was in this space of poverty. So as a follower of Jesus, um, when I went back to so the first 10 years of my life, but as I went back as a teenager, I say I was a slow learner when it came to following Jesus because my first reaction when I saw my community as a 13-year-old was judgment. I didn't look around and go, oh, God loves these people. I wonder where hope can be for them. My first reaction was, who are these dirty people? dirtying up my childhood home. 
I'm just confessing here in front of everyone. It was judgment. Now, what was going on? Wasn't I raised as a follower of Jesus Christ? Wasn't I raised in God's love? Well, in hindsight and in reflection, uh, this is the reason why. It was, there was something wrong with my discipleship. There was something wrong with the way I understood God's love. You see, this is the way I heard it. God loves me. It was true. God has a plan for me. Again, true. He wants me to be with him in heaven. So what I did was I grabbed that blanket of love, I wrapped it around myself and made it according to me. I had the gravity of love centered around me. Now, because I was a follower of Jesus, I want to appear loving. So if I, was appear, I wanted to appear generous, I'd extend that blanket or that boundary of love to my family members or the family members that you like, um, you know, in, during Christmas dinners. Uh, or you'll extend it to people in your church, right? Or the ones that you like again in the church. But you would be selective about who you stretched out this boundary of love. You decide who is in. You decide who is out. You show your love to those within. But those beyond, well, they're dirty people, dirtying up my childhood home. That's what was going on in my discipleship. The gravity of love um, was centered around me. Now, it becomes a gravity of unlove. And I think that is what Jesus was addressing in the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I grew up with that parable, learning about it, talking about how it looks like heaven and what heaven and hell looks like. But actually, it's more about what heavenly living looks like or what hell-ish living looks like. And in particular, Jesus was addressing what hell-ish living looks like. It's not necessarily about sins of commission, of things that you do to somebody else. That is wrong. But what he's highlighting here particularly are the sins of omission, of what you are not doing that you're supposed to be doing. The sins of inaction, of not doing you say you're a follower of God, but you're not acting accordingly. Does that make sense? All right, so I hope that this, uh, as I give you this encouraging sermon today, uh, that it, it challenges us in terms of reflecting of where is our center of gravity in terms of God's love. Is it on me? Or is it, as, we, as you are saying as a church, beyond dual as well? Can I pray for you just quickly? Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for who you are and how you center us all the time. Um, that, that you are always constantly reminding us. As we are challenged with 2020, people were talking about 2020 vision, uh, 2020 direction. This is what I'm going to do for 2020. And then all of a sudden, plans changed. Help us, Lord, as we dig deep into who we are as followers of Jesus. Reveal to us who you are. Center us on your love. And where does that propel us into the future? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so we see in chapter 15. So Luke uh, 16 is where the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is. But if we step it back a little bit in chapter 15, this is where we see uh, Jesus starting to build it up. You see in chapter 15, right at the beginning, you see the rich people or the the religious people, the Pharisees uh, uh, and the Sadducees, they were questioning Jesus right at the start. Chapter 15. They are saying, Jesus... Why do you, and the word is welcome, these tax collectors and sinners? 
Why do you welcome them? In other places they say, why do you eat? Why do you drink with them? Are you a drunkard and a glutton? Why do you welcome them? They're questioning his rhythms, his pattern. And so Jesus answers. He answers with the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Now, I don't have time to unpack it, but what is he saying? He's saying, why do I posture myself? Um, myself this way in welcoming? Why do I spend time with the tax collectors, the sinners, those who are on the margins, on the uh, vulnerable, and on the outside of your circles? Well, it's because my heart is centered around, uh, like, around God, who is like this good shepherd who will leave the 99 to look for the one. He is like this woman who would be diligent and resilient, who will look for that lost coin and celebrate when she finds it. Because my heart is postured around like the father's heart, where he's looking always for the lost son to come home. And each, in each three instances, it says at the end, he welcomes and rejoices. So why is Jesus, what, what is Jesus saying? Why are my patterns, why are my rhythms like this? Well, it's because it's postured around the father's heart to be where the lost are, to redeem, to restore to welcome them home. Now, Jesus wasn't done, though. In chapter 16, he turns it around and says, I question you on your rhythms. I question you on your love for money. You can't serve two masters. You only can serve God or the God of money. And then he says in verse 15, he gets to the heart of it. He gets to the heart of it in verse 15. He says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. God knows your center of gravity. You say you question me about my rhythms. Well, I question you not only on your rhythms, but right deep into it, your heart. And then Jesus says the parable. And so what Jesus does with the parable is he kind of opens this eternal curtain, gives them a glimpse of their heart. Have a look at it. Have a look at your heart. So can I give you two things that I think Jesus is doing to encourage you <laughs> and challenge us as well? Firstly, I think what Jesus does is he points to the rich man's selective seeing. We get a glimpse of the, uh, the rich man. Um, he, he, he is dressed in fine linen and in purple, so either he was royalty or he saw himself as royalty. He saw himself as this person who is up here, right? And then what does, the, what does Lazarus look like? Sores all over his body. The only compassion he received was from the dogs who licked his sores. That was the only sense of help that he got. Then there is this reversal. And in the afterlife, the rich man is like, I don't deserve this. He saw himself as up here. I don't deserve this. He says, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And then he says, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. We get a glimpse in the way the rich man saw Lazarus. Firstly, he knew he existed. He calls him by name, Lazarus. But secondly, he says, send Lazarus to me. Even in the afterlife, he's saying, he, it shows us that he sees Lazarus as someone who is lower caste than him. Someone who is a servant, a slave. Send him to me. Secondly, the rich man being the richest man in the village, it says this is his gate that Lazarus was on. 
So either he was the richest man and his most prominent man, or he was one of the leaders or the mayor of the town, because it's his gate. You see, not everyone had fences and gates. Uh, only if you have a, a, like a bigger village that you would put a fence around all your um, properties, like all the houses, and then you'd just have an opening. You can see who goes in, who goes out. You keep the foxes and the predators out and your livestock in. You keep your people safe. Um, where was Lazarus again? By that gate, yeah? Well, the rich man being the richest man in the village or a mayor of the town, he was part of the eldership system. And guess what the eldership did? They would meet, they would discuss the shalom of the community. If there was a famine, if there was a great harvest, they would come together and discuss what is the shalom, the well-being for this community. How can we act accordingly? Guess where they had the elders' meetings? By the gate. As they were discussing the shalom, the well-being of the community, there lied Lazarus dying. They could not see him as made in the image of God. He might as well have been a nail to that post because they couldn't see him. They had labeled him. This is the problem of labeling. Now imagine if that person had post-it notes all over their face. You don't see that person anymore. Remember what I was doing? I was labeling people dirty. I couldn't see them anymore. Made in the image of God. Unworthy. I couldn't see them made in the image of God. You see, in the, the house that I grew up in, um, right at the front of it, it's one of the oldest streets in Cebu City. Um, it's a long street. At a certain time of the night, this is the reason why I call them dirty people. At a certain time of the night, um, around 11 p.m. and onwards, a bench would go up in front of our house. Seven or eight women, usually women, usually young, um, would sit there. They were the sex workers or the prostitutes. At the end, there would be a guy, usually a guy. He's the facilitator or the pimp. Um, and every 10, 15 meters, there would be another bench, and then another one, and then another one. At a certain time of the night, again, um, the, the, the guys, usually guys, would come in their cars. Um, they would slow down, and they would put their high beams up. This is the signal. The high beam goes up. That means the, the, the people then facilitate the sex workers to go up in front of the car one by one. The ladies would go in front of the car, they would show themselves, they would twirl, they dance, and then they would sit down. Meanwhile, the passengers in the car or the driver in the car would be like, not that one, next one, not that one, next one, as if they were choosing an item in a vending machine. This is the problem when we label, they're not seeing someone who is, oh, that's, that's a person made in the image of God, or that's my mother, or that could be my sister. They're not seeing that. They're seeing a person they can consume. Now, here's the tricky part. Here's the uh, powerful part to this. When you label somebody, what you don't realize you're doing is you're also labeling yourself. You say, unworthy, worthy, unclean, clean. And in the way we do relationshiping, not, uh, you know, I shouldn't give you my love. I'm deserving of love, deserving of love, not deserving of love. As you do that, you create this chasm between you that exists in the afterlife as well. What we do here on earth reflects our heavenly or our hell-ish living. This is the power of labeling people. 
And so that's why when I mentioned, I, I did mention it last time, but just in case you didn't hear it, part of the issue that's going on in Nepal, and I've asked my Nepalese friends, and particularly our Nepalese international programs worker, what is still one of the big issues? He says, this is a big issue. It's illegal, but it's still within the worldview of the society, in the way they see each other. People on the higher-ups, they are more worthy than the ones down below. And so we at Baptist World Day, we want to make sure that we work with those down below. And you know what? People will know what you are, what social caste system you're from, by hearing your last name. So you can't escape it. You can't marry out of your caste system. And that's why it is powerful when brothers and sisters in Christ who belong up on, on that social caste system are spending time with the Dalits, the Shudras, and saying, God loves you. You are made in His image. Does that make sense? What is the good news? The good news is that Jesus sees you. Jesus sees Lazarus. Who is named in the story? Lazarus. What is the rich man's name? Jesus intimately names Lazarus. He's saying, I see you, and I see all the Lazaruses in the world, and my love is centered around all of you. That is the beautiful thing about our God. Finally, secondly and finally, <clears throat> Jesus highlights his selective hearing, the rich man's selective hearing. We see that the rich man starts to realize that there's an issue here. There's a situation that he's going to be stuck here forever. And so the rich man says, Father Abraham, can you send, there he goes again, can you send Lazarus to my five brothers? I have, to my family, I have five brothers. I don't want them to come to this place of torment. Father Abraham says something really interesting. He says they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Right? And he says, oh, no, no, Father Abraham. If someone from the dead comes back, someone resurrects from the dead, then they will listen. And then Father Abraham again says, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not listen to someone who comes back from the grave, someone who rises again, someone who resurrects again. Hint, hint, Jesus. What is Jesus saying in this parable? He's saying there is a way you can condition your ears, so much so that you won't hear the cries of the poor, the vulnerable, and the marginalized. Why? Well, in Jewish society, again, I don't have time to unpack this, but in Jewish society, listen is a very important word. It's the word shema, hear, listen. It also means to obey. And why is that important? Well, he's saying Moses and the prophets. Moses is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, that is the foundation of our covenant with God. But a God who is good, a God who is loving, who wants a people for himself. It's in a nutshell, as Jesus put it, the, the, the summary of the law. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbors. Right? So that's the foundation. And so the prophets are about steering people back to that covenant of love. And so what Jesus was saying through the parable is, if you have conditioned your ears so much so, that since you were a kid, You've been listening to these laws to care for the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the orphan, the widow, the refugee. If, 
if you have been hearing this, if you've been reciting it all your life, but actually have not been obeying, you have conditioned your ears so much so that you only listen to who you deem worthy, those on the inn. You're not listening to the orphans and the widows and the vulnerable. You just listen to yourself. And here's the harder part to this truth that Jesus says in verse 31. That you can condition your ears so much so from not hearing the poor, the vulnerable, that you can actually shut your ears from God himself. That you can actually shut your ears from the voice of our Savior, the resurrected one, Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's really confronting. That there is a way we can condition our ears. One of the ways that we need to understand and learn in how we help other people, how we love other people, is in how we listen. You know, that is one of the greatest gifts that we can give somebody today in our lonely society, how to listen well. I'm halfway through a counseling, a master's in counseling course, and you know in a nutshell what it's about? It's about listening well. And not just that, that on the foundation of listening well, on that foundation, great work can happen out of it. As someone feels safe with you, or a community feels safe with you, and they unpack and open their hearts and talk about what's going on in their lives and in their hearts, they're able to spot the problems and the differences, they're able to empower themselves based on true listening. They can figure out how they can stand on their own feet as well. You know, one of the beautiful things that I, I just get so encouraged is when I hear stories of children in the areas that we work in. I'll give you an example. Don't worry about those. Those are passages, just in case you think I'm making this stuff up. <laughs> um, you know, one, the one on the left is in Bangladesh, the one on the right is in Uganda, but we have more stories. These, when we ask the children, so no, we don't just talk to adults, we ask the children, we listen to the children, because they're the future of that community. And so when we ask them, how can we help you? There are many things that they've said, on the left and on the right, but on the left, um, the children drew it, and they said, you know what the issue was? Same in, on the right in Uganda, child marriage. Child marriage. As young as 10, as young as 11, they're, they are not sold necessarily, but they are agreed to be married at, at a young age, which actually spirals them down into poverty. And so they're saying, um, on the basis of listening, they're saying, well, can you help us speak to that family member over there or our government? That's what the, people are, that's what the children on the right are doing in Uganda. They're speaking to the government saying, this is an issue in our community. Can you help us fight it? But we wouldn't have known that if we did not listen. This is the good news of Jesus. He listens. Look through the scriptures. There are many times Jesus, he, uh, Jesus ministers to someone and says, what is it you need? As if he didn't know. But he asks, what is it that you need? This is the good news of our Jesus. Um, let me close off with this story. It's part of trying to uh, get this... Um, get this you know, rhythm and center of gravity in my family's life. I have three children. <clears throat> and so right at the start of um, their education, um, before they go 13 years of studying, uh, before they enter into kindergarten, one of the ways that I do, uh, I, I try to have the center of gravity of love towards those who God 
wants to reach out to uh, is I take my kids to Philippines. Um, I, I take them there and I show them the, where I grew up, not at that time of the night, um, appropriate times, uh, but also show them the partners and the people that we work with. Anyway, I took my eldest son. So I've taken all three now. I took my eldest son five years ago. And I remember he was part of a bigger team. And at, at the end of two and a half weeks, um, we were in this room. A facilitator was debriefing us, um, saying, all right, everybody, the whole team, can you uh, summarize your experience in a paragraph so that when you get back home, you can share your experience, right? So I thought, oh, you know what? My son could probably do this. So I, I said, hey, Micah is his name. I said, hey, baby, come here. Um, maybe you can think of a sentence. Actually, the sentence is too long. Can you think of a word that summarizes your experience of what you've seen, what you've heard in the last couple of weeks? You can even draw it if you want. And he's like, okay, thanks, Dad. Um, so I, I, I put him aside over there. Now, this guy has got to see a whole bunch of things, right? Um, and now all the kids have done it. But I remember him because um, 10, 15 minutes later, he tugs me on my shirt. And I look at him, and I said, yes, baby. I didn't think he was going to do it. He said, I have my word. And I was like, oh, he's got his word. I wonder what he wrote. You know, trauma or stinky place. Or I, don't, I don't know what he wrote as, as a summary. So I said, what's your word, baby? He said, this is his word. This is what he saw. Can you see it? He said love. In the midst, now I was, though I grew up in Cebu City, I was born in Mindanao. So I showed him Mindanao, for those of you who know Mindanao. Um, and so showed him some of the peacemaking work that we do there. He got to see slum communities, the area that I grew up in. But what he saw most was not the stinky stuff, not the hardship. He saw the love of Jesus in the people of God. That's what he saw. He saw the center of gravity um, in, uh, in not just in the people of God, but how the people of God ministered to other people. It was beyond just themselves. Can I pray that for you as a church, as you partner, not just in Baptist World Aid, but Solomon Islands and other places, even in this community uh, itself? Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for who you are. Your amazing love how you continue to teach us and challenge us. May we continue to be your people. As we are tempted, Lord, in this society that we're in, to center ourselves around ourselves, especially this coming Christmas, help us, Lord, to go beyond that. Help us, Lord, to see where you are, Jesus, with the others, with the vulnerable, the marginalized, the dirty ones, the ones who we sometimes see as unworthy. Help us, Lord, in the way we see ourselves and justify ourselves. Help us, Lord, to, um, to rip those labels off us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will reveal the kind of labels we have been putting on other people and on ourselves. I pray that you will lead us forward. I pray, Lord, that you will be with your old Baptist church as they continue to seek your heart, not just for themselves, but for the people that you have given them in this community and beyond. Continue to guide them, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.